have been alerted by my team that they're surprised they know what a shacket is. So it's like a shirt jacket, but it looks like a flannel, and it is a flannel. And I'm team flannel, flannel so. Flannel? <laughs> hey, we just invite you to stand with us today, and we're going to just worship. We're going to lift up our voices to sing to our God who is with us, the one who is fighting alongside us, winning our battles for us, who's never walking this life without us. So let's stand and sing together. Take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Cause you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Cause you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Cause you take what the enemy
Jesus, that we're children of God, that you've called us by name and called us into your kingdom. We're so grateful we get to come and worship you today. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We just invite our, our kids' ministries folks, Meredith and uh, Nicole Ford, to come on up, and uh, we're going to just hear from them about some updates with kids' ministry, and then right after that, we'll go into our, the story video for today. Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. I'm Nicole Johnson. This is Meredith Steenwijk. Uh, we, I'm a GEMS leader, and Meredith is my, uh, what do I, uh, you're like my, you keep me organized, my, what do we call that? You email everybody. When you guys get emails, it's from Meredith, because that's not my strong suit. My strong suit is hanging out with the kids <laughs> um, and just bringing God's truth to them. So we just want to put an ask out there today. Uh, we had over 40 young ladies and young men show up for Gems and Cadets two Wednesdays ago each. Yes, so 40, 46 in Gems, 40-something in Cadets, um, and 26 for Discovery Kids. That is a ton of kids, and we do not have enough adults supervising those kids. So first of all, we have a safety concern. But more importantly, folks, um, if you have a heart for young kids and a heart for bringing God's truth to them, we want to ask that you prayerfully consider uh, being a helper uh, in our GEMS classrooms. We have enough leaders for each classroom, um, but we would just like a few extra helpers. Um, same thing for cadets. We could use actually cadet leaders, not just helpers. So if you are a dad, a grandpa, an uncle, a cousin, um, old enough to lead young boys um, and teach them God's truth, not even teach them, just um, show them God's truth through your actions um, and your presence there each Wednesday. We would greatly appreciate it. Um, same thing with Discovery Kids. I had the opportunity and the gift to go to the GEMS conference this past July. And for me, Meredith and I talk a lot, you know, how long are you going to do GEMS? Um, you know, you've got, I've got a fifth grader and a third grader. Do I only have, she's got four boys and cadets, um, but she helps me out with gems because she's a good sport. Um, you know, how long are you going to do this? Is this just a season of our lives where we do this while our kids are, are in this grade? And then when they're, when they're off to middle school ministry, we're done. Um, and at that gems conference, I was inspired. There were ladies there, you guys, who have been giving God's truth to young girls for 50 years. Like GEMS has only been going for about 52 years, and there are ladies who are in their 60s and 70s who have been participating in the GEMS program for over 50 years. So truly, if children's ministry is a calling for you, just come hang out with us to check it out. Prayerfully consider it. We will pray over you um, about that decision, um, but we would just love to have you with us on Wednesday evenings, um, just pouring into these kids, uh, bringing the truth to them about who God created them to be and what their purpose is in God. We talk about raising a, a generation of girls who know the truth that, uh, of who God created them to be, not who Instagram and Facebook and their peers want them to be, but truly who God created them to be and having confidence in that. Um, 
And also, just join us on Wednesday night. Community night is a riot. I've grown up in this church, um, grew up in celebration with my parents and my grandparents, and used to just love coming on Wednesday nights to hang out with friends. My friends' parents, my friends' grandparents would harass me. The food is good. The fellowship is awesome. And then you can just come join us um, downstairs in the Red Brick Building for Gems. Um, out back here for cadets and Discovery Kids also meets in the basement of the Red Brick Building. It's an hour and a half. It's 6 to 7.30. And honestly, it's the most, it's a ton of fun. And it is the, it's the most important 90 minutes of our girls' lives for the week for some of our girls. So please prayerfully consider it. Reach out to Meredith. She'll probably, Tim, Tim's on hardawake.com. My email address isn't there, but just find me, chat with me. Um, I'd love to talk to you about it because we would just love to have you there supporting these ministries in whatever capacity you're able. Oh, Meredith is at, oh, you're gems at hardawake.com. Awesome. Gems at hardawake.com, cadets at hardawake.com, yeah? Rockin', that seems simple enough. So please prayerfully consider that. We are already praying over um, this congregation and fusion and celebration. Just if God's pricking your heart but you don't feel able, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will enable you. I am completely ill-equipped for this gig, but I love having fun with kids every Wednesday night and just telling them the truth about God. The Holy Spirit will equip you if you're feeling like this is one of your callings. Thank you. After Joseph and his brothers died, the population of Israelites living in Egypt exploded. It grew so large that the new Pharaoh was fearful that they would form an army against Egypt. So he made the Israelites slaves, forcing them to make bricks all day long. Then Pharaoh took it a step further. He issued a ruling that all newborn Hebrew boys should be killed. Soon after that, an Israelite woman gave birth to a son. Fearful he would be killed, she put him in a basket and placed him in the Nile River. The basket floated downstream and was found by Pharaoh's daughter. She raised the boy in Pharaoh's palace as if he were her own child. She named him Moses. Years later, Moses saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave. Moses became angry and murdered the Egyptian. Fearing for his own life, Moses fled into the wilderness where he became a shepherd. One day while he was tending his flock, he saw something incredible. A bush that was engulfed in flames but was not burning up. Then Moses heard God's voice coming from the bush. God had seen the suffering of the Israelites and wanted Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. So Moses went back to Egypt and met with Pharaoh. He asked that the Israelites be given a short break from their labor to hold a festival to worship God. Pharaoh not only denied the request, but made the Israelites work even more difficult to punish them. But this was just the beginning. 
To prove that God was on Israel's side, God brought great disasters called plagues on Egypt. God made all the water of Egypt turn into blood, filled the land with frogs and insects, sent diseases to kill the Egyptian animals, gave the people terrible sores, and brought terrible thunderstorms and terrifying darkness. Then God sent one final plague. God protected the Israelites by giving instructions to each family to take a perfect sheep, sacrifice it, and put its blood on the door frames of their houses. The Israelites did what God commanded. At midnight, God moved throughout Egypt, and every firstborn son, including Pharaoh's, were killed. But God passed over every house that had blood on its doorframe. Pharaoh was so overwhelmed that he practically begged the Israelites to leave. So in the middle of the night, after living there for 430 years, the Israelites left Egypt. However, Pharaoh once again changed his mind and sent his armies after the Israelites. They chased them for miles until finally they trapped the Israelites at the edge of the Red Sea. But God instructed Moses to strike the water with his walking stick. When he did, a strong wind blew across the sea, creating dry land for the Israelites to walk across. After they reached the other side, God caused the water to crash back down drowning all of the Egyptians who were following close behind. The Israelites journeyed far away from Egypt. Along the way, God took care of them, giving them quail in the evenings and flaky bread called manna in the mornings. Many times the Israelites complained about their living conditions, but Moses would remind them of God's goodness and continue to lead them toward the land God had promised them. If you have not come forward for children's dismissal, you may do that at this time. All right, friends. Miss Sophie is going to pray for us this morning, okay? So I need you to close your eyes. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Help us to have a good day. Amen. Well, that is going to be a tough act to follow. <clears throat> teared me up. So, today we are beginning the, a three-week mini-series from the story called A Rescue. And Aaron will be back in a couple weeks to finish that series up. We've worked through uh, Genesis, and we're, this, will, this series will take us from Exodus through Deuteronomy. And while Aaron is gone, they'll let pretty much anybody preach. So, uh, that leaves us here, but I put on a little nicer shirt than normal this morning, so I think we're good to go. Uh, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us today. Remind us of your presence. Thank you for always going ahead of us and guiding us. 
But in this moment here today, <clears throat> remind us that you are closer than normal, uh, that we can lean into your presence a little bit more, that we can rest in you, that we can find you here in a special way. Thank you for being with us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And the series is called A Rescue because we'll learn that there is a rescuer in our lives, and it's not us. And we're free in that. Um, but we're going to start with the story of Moses today. Uh, my name is Luke. If you don't know me, my family's been going here for, I think, over 10 years now because Sam, my son, just turned 11 and he was a baby when we started coming here, and time just flies. Um, but that's my own self-reflection. So what we're talking about here today is Moses, and I want to tell you today that Moses is you. What we're going to see is that, uh, what, what I hope you experience today is that the Spirit speaks to you in a way that's more eloquent, but... I'm going to sit. My message is Moses is you. So listen for the spirit in that. He likely has, he, not likely, he definitely has a unique message for each of you today. But I'm going to approach it from the lens of comparing you to Moses. And I want to start by telling you about a couple Moseses that I know. So this is my soccer coach from high school, uh, Denny Weaver. And He's just, look at the guy. He's just, he's a man's man. He was a um, great male role model in my life. In addition to being my soccer coach, he taught at our church. He had a son, Aaron, who was a couple years older than me, and they would invite me over every Wednesday just to hang out and have dinner and be part of their family. We had Wednesday night church. It was non-denom growing up, so it was like Wednesday night church started at like 7.30. It was a little later, so there was like a window of time for me to be with these guys and like, you know, uh, crash their car into their shed. And then Aaron said it was him driving. Um, but just like regular life, just eat a meal with them. This guy was a role model to me. Uh, that's me in the top right corner. And who has the guts to stand in the middle of a bunch of high school guys like that and tell them what's up? So I respect this man a lot. And one of the things that stuck out to me the most, that I remember the most, is after every soccer practice, he would tell us, live for Jesus. It's all that matters. And I didn't really know what he meant at the time by that. And, uh, uh, you know, we're all still figuring out exactly what that means, but it definitely stuck with me. I remember one time, he would, like, shout it. If people were already going off the field and they were far away, he'd, like, scream it. But I was, like, right next to him one time when he did that. And I remember that. It was meaningful. Um, so, yeah. And if you've talked to me once, you'll know, likely, that I lived in Honduras for a while, a couple years ago. And I think I talk about Honduras so much because it's the place that I came to know God. Not that I didn't know God before and I do know God completely now, but rather, it's the place where I developed a dependence on God. It's the place where I chose faith, partially because I had to. If I didn't rely on God in that situation, 
where I hadn't spoken the language before, I hadn't taught high school before, I hadn't done all these things. If I hadn't relied on God, I wouldn't have made it. So in his grace, he gave me the opportunity to choose faith in that way. But it took me a while. I struggled for a couple months before I realized I need God. And I basically returned to the basics and just did my devotions, prayed before going into each class. I taught high school science because if you walk into a room full of 32 Honduran high schoolers, you want God to be with you. (laughs) And he was. He showed up. And at some point in there, the, the, the live for Jesus came back to me. And so I decided to tell my students at the end of every week, live for Jesus, it's all that matters. It was a great reminder for them and for me. We're going our separate ways. The best thing we can do is live for Jesus. It is all that matters. So one of the other um, students is, er, one of the other Moseses that I know is, is Michael, and this is him. He approached his faith logically in his head, was into apologetics and proving why God exists, and he still is, and I, I resonate with that, and I like it. Um, and we had a lot of good conversations, and I think I learned a lot for him. And there were a lot of other people that fed into his life, too. There was another missionary family that he worked with that he would translate for. And a couple months after we moved back, they were talking to me, and they said that Michael had said to them, you know, I understand, I'm starting to understand what Mr. Joyce meant when he said to live for Jesus. So that's it. That's all I need out of life. Like, if that's all I got, that would be enough. But God has so much more for us. And Michael here got accepted to, he's now studying at the Baptist University of the Americas in San Antonio. He wants to be a missionary. He wants to maybe go to Asia or Africa to share the gospel. He recognizes the needs in his own country of Honduras where he can serve. So I see nations and generations of people being impacted through the simple faith of my coach, Denny, stewarding his soccer team. And now to this guy, who who knows what he's going to do. So you can't really tell me that this isn't Moses-sized stuff. We're just in the middle of this story. We We haven't seen the outcome yet. I think Denny's simple faith is going to be larger than life. And Moses is one of those guys that we think is larger than life. But I want to look at that and also um, how he's just like us in a lot of ways. So let's dive into Exodus 14. Very likely a passage that you have heard before. Um, but let's give it a shot to hear it fresh this morning because um, this is the living word of God from Exodus 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea, drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Moses is working hand in hand with God, listening to his command, doing what he says. God shows up, parts the sea. This is the greatest one of the greatest servants of God being obedient in one of the most pivotal times in history, in God's story. But is this guy really so unlike us? Um, I say no, because um, first of all, Moses was a real person. I assume all of you here today and listening to this are real people. And Exodus 2 tells us Moses was a real person too. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So this text, to me, points backward to Noah and the tar and the pitch makes me think of the ark and God preserving life. And it points forward about 1,500 years to the time when God's going to save baby Jesus from Pharaoh just as he's saving baby, or sorry, baby Jesus from Herod just as he's saving baby Moses from Pharaoh. That's going to happen about 1,500 years later. But there's more in this text. Um, and my son Sam's going to come up here and help me with that. Can you grab my apple juice cup too there, buddy? Thanks, man. There's more in this text. Moses has a father and a mother and a sister all mentioned here. Thanks, you're the man. This guy has a father, me, and a mother, Stephanie, and a sister, Evie. So Moses was born in 1526 B.C. So that means about 1515 B.C., 11 years later, because you count down in B.C., he would have been 11, right? This guy just turned 11. Um, At a specific time in history, he's a real living person with flesh and feelings and thoughts and, uh, yeah, and goodness. Um, So thanks, buddy. You can have a seat. You're the man. Sam's as real as Moses. Moses is as real as Sam. It's just we're in a different place in history. If Moses was born in 1526 B.C., that means that was 3,548 years ago. A real time, a real person. Same history we're in, just at a different time. And at Moses' birth, he knew as much about his life as you knew, you know, about your uh, life at your birth, which is nothing. And at your age now, Moses knew as much about his future as you know now 
which you might think is something, but is probably very little and could be completely wrong. You know, we want to build our little kingdom, set up control over our lives, but the calling is really to surrender in faith to God. When we set up our own little kingdoms, we're really turning away from God, which is a definition of sin, and that brings us to the next way in which we're like Moses. He was a sinner. So from Exodus 2, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. So what type of sinner is Moses here? We usually answer that question by saying murderer. Because we categorize sins with things like murderer, thief, liar, cheater, etc. But there's another way in here in which we are the same type of sinner Moses is. Moses is the type of sinner who's not sorry until he gets caught. It's the same reason why I drive more respectfully around Holland than maybe elsewhere. Because what if somebody I have a confrontation with goes to this church? That would be awkward. So many times, the motivation to do the right thing comes from the fear of being caught, the fear of being known, the fear of being exposed, rather than the fear of the Lord. And I mean, we don't have to be an actual murderer to resonate with Moses in this way. And, but we do have to be really honest <clears throat> with ourselves if we're going to um, acknowledge that and grow in any way from it. Because different situations are going to pop up in our lives. And we can either experience them with the peace of God, or we can react to them, usually poorly, when we're not ready. And uh, just like us, Moses was not ready. He didn't feel ready. You know, I'd like to think that if I'm face-to-face with the burning bush, I'm going to say, yes, okay, I will listen to you, angel of the Lord in the form of the burning bush. Um, but probably wouldn't, actually. And Moses certainly doesn't. So let's look for, through. He gives five excuses to God, telling him why he's not ready. So this is through Exodus 3 and 4. So from chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You know, Moses doesn't feel worthy. He doesn't feel up to the task. From 3.13, a couple verses later, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Um, I think that's just a stupid question. And I think he's stalling. But if you read the whole exchange, uh, God does give Moses a a beautiful answer. Uh, To chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? So Moses is worried about what other people are going to think. A lot like us. I can relate. From 4.10. 
Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So Moses is doubting his own abilities, which is good, but he's failing to put his faith in God to work through him. And from 4.13, But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. So I called my coach, Denny, last week to ask his permission to use him as an example in the sermon. Um, and he said no. Just kidding. He said yes. Uh, and he told me that you can tell this Moses guy was a prince because he's used to giving orders, not to taking them. And that's us. We may not think of ourselves as princes or princesses, but we do live in 21st century America, and we have Netflix to entertain us whenever we want. We have Amazon to bring us whatever we want. And we walk past the storehouses of food in our kitchens and our pantries so that we can, maybe we don't even walk past them, maybe we just sit there and order some delivery because we don't want that overflowing abundance. I want something a little more. And you say, well, that's fine. I earned that money. I can do whatever I want with it. Yeah, you did. And who gave you the ability to earn money? Who gave you the skills and the wisdom that you have that you apply to earn money? Who gave you the breath in your lungs? Everything we have is a gift from God. But we continue to live like princes and princesses. And the great lie that we're risking believing is that we can rely on ourselves and not on God. We're choosing faith in ourselves over faith in God on a daily basis. And this is wildly dangerous. So how did Moses avoid that trap? How did he part the Red Sea? How did he save the Israelites? How did he, be, he become like the guy that the Bible started to be written about? If you're struggling to believe that you're like Moses in many ways, I get it. He did big things. You and I were not likely to be canonized examples of God's redemptive work 3,548 years from now. But there's a deeper way in which we're like Moses. The deepest sense in which Moses is you is that God loved Moses as his own child. And God wants you to accept his love just like Moses did. He's got the same promises for us that he had for Moses and the same opportunity too. He wants us to spend eternity with Moses and with him. And he wants us to be participating in bringing that kingdom of heaven to earth right now. Uh, so the last comparison I have between us and Moses is not a given. It's a choice. Moses chose faith, and each of us have that same opportunity. Um, Moses' story here is only different from ours in that Moses chose faith, past tense. His is over. His is complete. His is written. Ours is ongoing. We have the choice of faith each day, each moment of each day. It's not something you choose once and you're done. It's something you get to enter into in a walk with God. Um, and many of the characters in the story are mentioned in Hebrews 11 uh, for their faith. And here's the part about Moses. 
By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses chose faith, and this is the way you and I can be like Moses. And it's a significant, weighty, heavy choice. Uh, A little more from Hebrews 11 here. Uh, This is talking in summary about all the great servants of God mentioned in that chapter. Uh, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. That's talking about the future God has for us, together with the writer of Hebrews, together with Moses. That's the us that he's talking about. God made us all in his image, you and me and Moses and my coach Denny and my student Michael. And he really has the same goal for all of our lives, simply that we would experience God's love, accept it, and return it. You know, has anybody ever told you I love you too? How great does that feel? Whether it's a significant other or a kid or a parent. And that that the greatest joy you've ever felt when somebody tells you that is just a glimpse of the joy that God has for us when we tell him, I love you too. It's actually an act of faith to tell God that you love him. And if you're worried that you don't have faith or you don't have enough faith, no problem. Because faith is also mentioned as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So while it is something that you have to choose, it's also something that God promises to give you more of as you seek him. This is the faith of a mustard seed. This is Pastor Aaron saying, give God an inch, he'll take it a mile. You don't need to be at any particular place to start, just right where you are. As long as you're not completely, utterly rejecting faith, you're good. Faith transforms our lives from something that we struggle through to something that we can accept as a gift from God. Where we can find rest. And this is the freedom, friendship, and rest we talk about at Watershed. It's the freedom and friendship and rest found in the finished work of Christ. And it's for you, and it's for you today. And I didn't talk a lot about the finished work of Christ explicitly today, but I hope you can see the echoes of his story reverberating throughout time. Back to Moses, forward to us today. The blood of the Passover lamb saved the Israelites from the despair that the Egyptians faced. Just as the blood of the lamb of God saves us from the despair that the rest of the world faces. It's the only way it makes sense. There's no other way. Through the lens of a father God who's willing to send his son for us. And his son, who is God, who's willing to take on human flesh and enter into life with us. And through the spirit who continues to walk with us and be with us in every moment of every day 
It doesn't make sense otherwise. So this is the God that we say we believe in. But we need to be reminded constantly of the immensity of his goodness and love for us. So Moses is you because God loved Moses. And God loves you in every moment of every day. And he extends to you the same opportunity to respond to him in faith and walk with him and do incredible things as Moses did, the most incredible of which is just to be with him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to be with you in this way. We pray that you would continue to descend on our hearts as we go from this place. Um, We pray that you would make it clear to us what living in faith looks like as it will look different to each one of us. We pray that we would trust the story, that we would trust the end of the story that you know, that we don't know, that we would walk alongside you as you continue to reveal it in our lives. Help us to approach each day with gratitude for the beauty that you've given us in it and the chance to walk with you through it, God. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We invite you to stand with us as we sing this song of response. It's just a reminder that there's a Savior in the story. And just as God called Moses to go rescue the people of of Israel out of Egypt, God, too, has sent Jesus to rescue us out of our sin, give us new life in him. So let's lift this up together this morning.
rescuer and our rescuer rescuer has a name and his name is Jesus so now I get to tell you what my coach told me and what I told my students go this week and live for Jesus because it is all that matters so receive this blessing the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace go in peace